Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reservations. We're your hosts. I'm Rain Whalen. And I, I just died in your arms tonight. Must have been something you said. <laughs> you know, I Boom. I haven't heard that song in forever. And I love that song. I, want, I hate that song. But what? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not a fan of that song at all. So, um, I forgot what I was watching. And... Oh, it was the Lego movie. <laughs> it was, or it was the Lego Batman movie. It's in there, so it's I think in it's in the those. Lego Batman yeah, movie. Yeah, where he sees Barbara Gordon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So for the longest time, I never knew who that artist was, mm-hmm. and you know, having parents that raised you on '80s synth rock and you know rock. Yeah. You would have think I would have known, but for the longest time, I didn't know. And it wasn't until like 2013 I finally figured out that. The group that makes that song is called Cutting Crew. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was like Europe or Asia. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it definitely sounds like Europe, but no, it's a, it's a band called Cutting Crew. Cutting Crew. Yes. Well, welcome back, everyone. Um, I know this is a, a very exciting episode, especially for Jeremy. I, I don't think I've been this excited in a long time uh, getting to talk about a movie. This Not is, even when we talked about a uh, goofy movie? I mean, you know, I was, you know, I was excited to talk about a goofy movie, but, you know, this one, this one has so much. Yeah. Right? This one is, I mean, I took three pages of notes today. <laughs> I, I, I watched half of it today and I watched all of it last night. So right. I'm going to go ahead and just get the disappointment over with now. Okay. I did not do your recommendation and watch it twice. That's okay. I didn't think you would. I watched it once. Okay. Um, mainly because I actually was following along. No, it's not that I didn't think you could well, follow no, no, the no. narrative. It was just there's so much you just might want to watch it twice. Right. Um, well, I uh, <laughs> I did a, a little tricky thing so I didn't have to pay for it. Because, um, you know, on uh, I don't know if you've go, like, gone to a movie on your Apple TV and it says, like, oh, you can watch here for free. Yeah, every yeah. once in a while. It's only if I say it or whatever, if I yeah. look it up on the homepage, right? Yeah, and so it was like, you know, or watch for free on movie. I've never heard of movie before. Man. And so I asked Ashley, I was like, what would you do? Like, you just need to watch this movie. Would you pay the $4 and rent it? Or would you sign up for something for a week trial and watch it for free? And she was like, I would do the week trial. Oh, so yeah, I'm the so exact that's what opposite. I did. I'd be like, ooh, girls have to fill out stuff? No. So forget. I just quickly, like, signed up for it. Once the movie was over, I immediately, like, ended the trial run. Because never heard a movie. Um, and it doesn't... I don't like it. Anyway. But yeah, I watched and it. It was the complete version, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, the two and a half hour one. And it yeah. even yeah started with... Good, 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 good. Okay, yeah. this the the we found in Argentina. Here's the, you know... We, That's so yeah. crazy that it was found in... It, it's actually not. Um, it, it has to do with... it. I don't think it's the only film, like, archive footage or, you know, just found footage in South America. I think that... A few others have been, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it, no. you know, it's it has to do with you know just the the circulation of the film, where it was, blah, blah, it doesn't matter. But uh, so we should mention. So uh, in case you missed last week, go back and listen to last week because uh, then you'll know that this week we're talking about Metropolis, Fritz Lang's uh, 1927. I will go ahead and say it for you, masterpiece. Good. Yeah, um, I would agree. I definitely. The first of its kind of mm-hmm. 1927. Um, and the reason why Jeremy really wanted me to watch the complete version is because when the film was first released in 1927, uh, 
it had to be edited down because one of the big things that critics didn't like was its time. Yeah, they didn't like how long it was. They said it was an hour too long. An hour too long. So he cut an hour away? Yeah, eventually by 1936, it was down to 91 minutes. Oh my God. And uh, because they wanted to cut out all of the religious imagery as well. Which if you do that, you cut out... The the point. Well, yeah, because then you would cut out um, uh, Maria talking to the workers. You cut out a lot of the stuff in the inventor's house. You cut out the the end confrontation on top of the cathedral mm-hmm. so um, I mean it's it's you know a gigantic chunk taken out of the movie if you just take out the religious imagery which we'll get into because there's a lot of that also yeah so so would you say it's <clears throat> it was almost like censorship sort of kind of yeah uh, the first time was just because of how the movie business was set up at the time they because of its length, they couldn't run it enough times to make their money back, right? Mm, okay. Um, because as it being two and a half hours long, you can only run it once every two and a half hours. Yeah. You know, whereas a 90-minute film, you could, you know, run it... Almost every hour. Right. Exactly. Makes sense. Um, which, of course, now is crazy because then we had Endgame. Yeah. A three-hour-long movie in theaters that... Made the most money ever, yeah. right? But, you know, then again, <clears throat> now we have, you know, multiplexes and we have, you know, I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so anyway, so the, the film was edited down. And then in 2008, mm-hmm. they found the, I guess, remaining footage. Yeah. And it really makes this viewing <clears throat> really unique because mm-hmm. you can definitely tell what was added, right? Because it was it was done in 16 millimeter heavily damaged the fact that they can make it even look like that is amazing yeah because of how horrible the condition of the film was right yeah when the, when those opening titles were saying like how damaged it was yeah. and that the they tried to make sure that it was cut perfectly and i was really surprised and really impressed in how they could seamlessly find where they go mm. right I mean, a lot of it had to do with blocking and the what scene they were in, where they were at, right? The background, what stuff like that. But I yeah. mean, it's almost perfect. I mean, it's oh yeah, excellent and job. and I yeah, I, I was also very impressed. Like as soon as it came up, I was like, oh, that must be the damaged footage. Right. But it's still, where it was almost like watching a director's cut of a movie. Yeah. You know, because if you know how I kept viewing it as. It was un, you know, unfinished footage, right? You know, yeah. which is how it felt. But of course, I'm sure to Fritz Lang in 27, that's exactly it looked, how it, it looked was. just fine, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. So um, since you let me do Steve Zizu last week, I will let you do the synopsis. I'm going to do it quick because yeah, there's so and there's much. a lot to talk about. Not only that, it is for a for a 1927 silent film. It is. A complex narrative. Yeah. Right? And that was another criticism was it's too long and it's too complicated. You know? Yeah. People have a hard time following the narrative. And I mean, you can't you can't afford to look away for a few minutes, right? Or yeah. just look down for a few seconds because you're going to miss something. Or a title card, right? Or yeah. a dialogue card. I mean, you're going to miss that stuff. Which, you know, Ooh, I'll bring you, it up later on. Well, you're... Listen, I thought about this today and I was like, man, Rain is so lucky I picked this one because in other foreign language silent films they keep the original dialogue cards 
uh-huh. and they just subtitle it like a normal film. And sometimes those texts overlap. Oh no! And so it's so hard to read. I know. Um, yeah, as were with this one, they just they they, they replaced them with English, right? Well, no, the one I watched is they replaced them with German, mm-hmm. and then the the subtitles caught it and translated it down oh, the that's bottom for me. Oh, see, that's what it's supposed to be like. That's what it's usually like. Mine, um, if you had bought the five dollar one, you wouldn't have to work that hard um, yeah. because they 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 have a a version for English speaking audiences. Well. Sidebar, what was kind of crazy is after I finished the movie, I was trying to find, because I knew I'd seen one somewhere where someone kind of really dives in to the movies. That way I could have a little bit more to talk about. And when I searched for it on YouTube, someone posted the entire movie. Yeah, the entire movie is up and you can actually find a, um, oh man, what is it? It's, it's a super long version of it uh, because they don't do it at 24 frames per second. Um, they changed the frame rate, and so it's like three hours long. Oh my god! Um, which is so crazy. It's like a three and a half hour um, viewing, and I, I meant to watch some of it today, and I just didn't have a chance. Yeah, but that's on YouTube, so you can find a a changed frame rate, alternative frame rate version of Metropolis on yeah. YouTube, uh, which is crazy, right? But yeah, so right. Uh, take it away. Whew. Okay, Metropolis is a gigantic. City set in the year 2026, so six years from now. And uh, so I, I read somewhere it was 2030. Oh, no. I The one I read and... Um, well, I, I trust you. Yeah, I, so. 2026. So um, we have above ground, which is the city where the affluent live, right? Mm-hmm. Then we have underground. This is where the workers live, okay? And there is a gigantic difference in tone and the lighting and things like that. Um, where the workers live, it's very industrial. Um, they have to get these machines to work, right? They mm-hmm. have to work with these machines all day long, 10 hours a day, okay? Yeah. Uh, it was mentioned later that it is a 10-hour shift, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, we can't, I, sorry, I, I want to talk about the visuals. We can't do that right now. So yeah. um, the leader of the city, the creator of Metropolis, uh, Joe, Oh, that's how you pronounce it? Yeah. Because okay. it's J-O-H is how they um, is how I'm gonna pronounce it. Um, Joe Frederick Frederson. Frederson. Fred Frederson. Frederson. Yeah, Frederson. Yeah, Frederson. Um has a son uh, who while being entertained by these sluts, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, comes across a woman. Her name is Maria. She has just um, in, infiltrated the top. Uh, the top layer of the city. The the Suns Club. Right. To sort of uh, put on a silent and nonviolent protest to show them the dirty, malnourished children of the underground. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, Fred, Fredder, Fred, Fredder, whatever, um, falls in love with Maria and decides to confront his father about the living conditions of the people of the underground. Um, of course, his father is appalled that this, you know, like, how dare you go talk to them, blah, blah, blah. They're they're where they belong. That's, you know, that's mm-hmm. how the city works. And he's like, well, fuck you. And so he goes <laughs> and he wants to trade places with uh, one of the workers to, number one, see how they live. Number two, find Maria. Right? Right. And... He does. They switch places. There's a lot of doubles in this movie, so hold, hold your hats. And 
uh, they switch places for the day. And he does a back-breaking 10-hour shift with the most tedious machine he could have picked, right? Yeah. I was like, you picked that one, buddy? Yeah. Yeah. All, all Fred has to do is line up the these hands to the coordinating bulbs that are lit up. Yes. And so... I mean, they have handles, but he has to do it for 10 hours, and he gets it done. You know, and because they change so quickly, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you didn't see the guy while he was... I mean, I guess he picked the one that looked the hardest, maybe, to get that guy a, get them a break, right? Right. And so he's topside, this other person. Uh, Gregory or Gregory. Gregory or whatever. Right. And 118811. Thank you. 118811. Um, <laughs> what was it called? Greg. Yeah, we'll That's call him my dad's Greg. name. Um, and so Greg is now up top. He finds just piles of money in his pockets uh, from Fred's pants, right? Because they've switched clothes, obviously. Yeah. And and so he goes out on a night on the town, right? He doesn't even go to the to the the safe house or wherever yeah, Fred told yeah. him to go, right? Yeah, because yeah, Fred tells him like go you know go to this address, right? There'll be someone waiting because there. that's where Joseph is. Joseph, um, and it's made to be a play on Jehoshaphat from the Bible. Water. Um, Joseph gets fired from his job and sent to be a worker from Fred's father, Joe, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for not catching the the workers planning some sort of something. He doesn't know. He just yeah. sees these plans and he goes, oh, the workers might uprise, right? Yeah. I got to fix that. So who does he go to fix? Well, he goes to the inventor um, who have known each other for a long time. I, I, I want to, I see your the look on your face because you're trying to remember his name, right? Well, I, I know it, but I... Can't pronounce it, yeah. right? which is why I'm just going to call him the inventor. Yeah, that's better. Thank God it's Maria and Fred, right? Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> thank God it's Fredder and Maria and the inventor, right? Yeah. So, the inventor will, because of how he looks, he is automatically the antagonist. <laughs> because yeah. dressed in all black, he's got wild hair. He later will be the influence for... Dr. Frankenstein in James Wales, Frankenstein, 1931. Um, he says, well, uh, looks like it's plans to overthrow the top, right? Mm-hmm. And he's just guessing. He really doesn't know, right? And I'd like to point out, you know, I leaned over to Ashton, like, you know, this is supposed to be the far future. And, like, and I get the movie was made in 27. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what it was going to look like. But these motherfuckers are using, like, pen and paper. Yes. Like, pencil and paper. I'm like, shouldn't y'all have, like... Yeah, he's using one of those compass things that, yeah. you, you know, you uh, go back to... tractor or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And Ashley was like, oh, the movie was made in 27. I was like, I know. Technically, he started in 25. So... But, yeah, I read that it took 17 months to do. Yeah, it took a year and a half to... I mean, it's um, unbelievable, right? Yeah. Uh, but, of course, when you see the movie, you understand why it took yeah. so long. Anyway. Um, so, he says, I have an idea. And um, after revealing that he is still... The inventor is still very much grieving the loss of Joe's wife, Hell. Hell. Um, never mind, we'll get to it. So... <laughs> Sorry, there's a lot. So, um, has was planning on making a robot in her image, and he opens the curtain, and here comes the what will soon become an iconic image, and will forever be associated with this film and for science fiction forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Right? Is 
the metal man, as he calls him, right? Yes. Man, of course, in the broad sense, mankind, right? Mm. And he was planning on making this in Hell's Image, right? Oh, uh, I'd like to point out, this isn't the piece of trivia I told you about. Um, The inventor uh, was one of the inspirations for Nicolas Cage in that movie Moonrise with Cher. Moonstruck. Moonstruck. Oh, because of his hand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, in an interview, he said he wanted to use a lot of German expressionism. Mm-hmm. And Oh, we'll talk about German expressionism. The, the inventor was one of... This is going to be a long episode, guys. Buckle up, because yeah. there's a lot. Yeah, the, but the inventor was one of his influences for... Yes, absolutely. You, know, you can... Johnny has his hand. You can see it immediately, right? Especially how um, Nicolas Cage, you know handles the hand right mm. and how he you know claws it every once in a while and how he like looks at it and whatever I mean it's clear as day right? uh, if anyone didn't know Nicholas Cage first craziest he is he's actually very intelligent in my opinion <laughs> I mean no, no no I mean I'm I'm a, I'm a fan I'm a Nicholas Cage fan he so. just he just needs to quit saying yes to everything nah he's fine so alright <laughs> so Joe says I have a better idea quit fucking with this thing about my wife first off dude lay off and second well, off, and of course you know the inventors built this shrine yeah yeah and, and you know i you know it's it's hard because they don't really dive into that too, too much now it's just we kind of get the feeling that he's in love with joe's wife yeah. always has been right and so when she died giving birth to fredder he you know lost his mind so anyway he said there's this woman that the workers look up to and that they listen to. Her name is Maria. Find her, make that thing look like her, right? Yeah. And have her infiltrate the workers. He goes, got it. But what he didn't say is, got it, I'm still going to have them overthrow your city, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because he also hates Joe, right? Probably because of the wife thing. So Probably, yeah. Probably. So, <laughs> meanwhile, uh, Fredder is... In the workers, uh, in the workers' city underneath mm-hmm. Metropolis, and he uh, finally finishes his ten-hour shift. He walks with the rest of the workers to where Maria has called them, and she's going to tell them the story of Babel and the the, the fall of the tower, right? Mm-hmm. Um, saying that you know things are going to get better. We just need to whatever. It's very very peaceful it's not angry it's not violent you know we just need to wait for the mediator the mediator will come and whoever he is will be the the key to making an agreement a peace as some sort of arrangement with those in metropolis above us right right yeah because they they say that a lot that the the mediator between the head and the hand must yes. be the heart. That's right. And Fredder goes, oh, that could be me. <laughs> My dad owns the place, right? Yeah. And I, I, I do want to say before we go on, it's just, it's very, um, you know, just <laughs> trying to think of the right, right word here, but I think I, I think you might know where I'm going. It's just very like, he just self-appoints himself. Yeah, and but it turns out, you know, the only reason I didn't have a problem with it is because it absolutely couldn't be anybody else, right? Yeah. It has to be him, yeah, right? Yeah, they didn't really write any other character to no. fill that No, I mean, role. the closest one would have been Joseph, I guess, because he looked like he was the right-hand man right, yeah. with Joe, right? So, um, anyway. anyway. So, <laughs> he 
Fredder, Fred, gets out of the the worker city, back on top. He's going to go check on Joseph, and he's going to go check on Greg. Greg. Right? Uh, Greg never showed up. How do we know that? Because uh, Lurch, uh, the, the, thin guy, man. the thin man, uh, has been keeping tabs, right, mm-hmm. uh, per Joe's instructions, right? Right. And we find out that he gets intercepted when he comes out of the nightclub, uh, which I love the, the fantasy sequence he has and what what wonders can await him on the top side, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that sort of uh, montage of cuts and they're sort of in that diamond format or whatever. It's amazing. Anyway, yeah. um, which happens a few more times. So, gets intercepted. Thin Man goes to um, Fredder's apartment and threatens Joe... Where is he? Uh, you mean Joseph. Joseph, sorry. Yeah. Joseph, sorry, there's a lot of names. Well, and, and, and they're similar. Well, and, and Fred just happened to leave like at right. the perfect time. Which uh, the, I mean, obviously the set design is incredible in those um, the non-stopping elevators. elevators. Yeah, the non-stop elevators. Yeah. It was insane, right? Um, that's pretty much all I could think about during the scene. Was like. Wow, people could really get hurt on that <laughs> if they if they uh, miss. You gotta it. be like, all right, here comes the floor. Okay, who, who go? You know. Um, okay. Anyway, so <laughs> I know it's so much. We're not even halfway through. Okay, so I think we're yeah. I was about to say I'm like, we're, we're about, about halfway the halfway. Through. Yeah, we're mark. about the halfway mark because um, the inventor kidnaps Maria mm-hmm. and has successfully with the most brilliant melding of animation overlapping and dissolve to create the Maria doppelganger, right? Right. Um, and Even down to her clothes. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, right? Yeah. So the only way we can tell them apart is the bad one has eyeliner. That's the difference. So um, <laughs> has, uh, has emo band eyeliner. <laughs> I knew he liked that. All right, so... All the things she's missing is a choker. Right. She has infiltrated the workers and has got them so riled up. Oh, yeah. God, like, super instantaneously, fast, Instantaneously, right? Know, and not only has she gotten the workers riled up, she has also gotten the affluent citizens of Metropolis also riled up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by, by doing some belly dancing. Yes, playing on their desires, right? They are a slave to their desires as the workers are slaves to their machines, right? Right. And so she has gotten these... Both groups of people riled up and ready to overthrow whoever they want, right? Yeah. And that's where we get to the big crescendo of the film is the uprising, right? Mm-hmm. So the workers stop what they're doing. They stop messing with the machines, which, as we know, is very problematic because they have to be manned 24 hours a day. Yeah. It is, it is nonstop. If one person gets off the machine, one person has to get right on it, right? Right. There is no room to wait. Nope. And so this results in a blackout and a flood of the underground, of the mm-hmm. workers' city, right? The um, Our heroes, Maria and Fred, say, uh-oh, if no one's here, the kids are here. They have to get the kids out, right? Right. This resulted in hiring 500 children from yeah, Germany. So many kids. 37,000 extras. 
um, were used in this film, uh, and that was just 500 of them. So, God damn. I know. So they get the kids out, right? Um, someone, one of the workers, mentions to the mob of workers uh, that... Grot. Or, thank you. The, the, the foreman. Mm-hmm. I guess you would say the boss of the workers. Yes. Says, guys, if you're here, our city's underwater, your kids are under there. Your kids are dead, right? Right. Our kids are dead. Congratulations, right? And so they now... Yeah, because he was trying to stop them from right. stop using the machines. Right, because he knew the catastrophic failure, right? He yeah. knew what would happen, right? And so he says, let's go get Maria. She, It's her fault. She got us all riled up. She got to stop our machines, She's the reason her kids are dead. Which actually, it turns out, Maria's the reason they're alive. So, yeah. they, in a, in a fun switcheroo moment, they, they run into the real Maria, who has escaped. This is one of the scenes that is no longer in the film at this point, right? Mm-hmm. This is when we get just the dialogue and just the, the scene descriptions that she escaped, right? Uh, because Joe went to the inventor and they got the scuffle, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? So... <laughs> They run into her, they they go, it's her. That's the one, right? Where Doppelganger Maria, evil Maria, is with the rich. Right. And got them all riled up, right? And Maria escapes the the mob of workers. Barely. Yeah. And they just so happen both mobs run into each other, right? And they grab evil Maria. Yeah. And burn her at the stick, right? Yeah, which I was like... Phew. Yeah. Like, I I was like, you know, I kind of want them to show it, but I was like, it's 27. They wouldn't show that. Yeah, they would. Yeah. And yeah, they did. And yeah, her dress really caught on fire. So, <laughs> um, and so while all that ensues, while we're waiting for them to realize that it's not Maria, Maria has been... She's uh, hiding her, in a corner. Right. Um, and Fredder runs into the mob, believes that is the real Maria for a minute. Yeah, and um, is hysterical. Right. And we get another really cool dissolve, and Maria turns into the metal man, right? Yeah. I'm assuming the the heat from the fire right. melted the right. Maria skin. And so he's like, oh, good. That's not that. That's the bad one. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> and... But- She's in the cathedral, right? And so he runs to the cathedral because the inventor is trying to... Because he thinks that's the evil Maria, right? Yeah. So there is a... You know, both parties have the wrong one, right? Right. And so he's thinking, okay, I can grab her and and I can change her to where... Originally, I wanted her to look like hell, so I'm going to take her back and we're going to do that. But that's the real Maria. So Fred... Fights off the inventor. He mm-hmm. falls off the cathedral. Dies, presumably. <laughs> and he meets up with his father and Maria at the at, at the front doors of the cathedral. The foreman of the workers goes to shake Joe's hand. Joe refuses, but remember, <laughs> he's the mediator, yeah, right? Fred's the self-appointed mediator. That is right. And so he has them shake hands. And now we have a, a sense of hope for the community of Metropolis that they will rebuild and restructure their class system. And mm-hmm. that is Metropolis in a nutshell. Yes. Okay. 
Whew. Again, that is a silent film from 1927. So it is not the longest film Fritz Lang has done, but it is up there. You know, and I, this is going to sound really contradictory, but you know, for a silent film, there's not a lot of dialogue. Um, and I, again, like I said, that's contradictory because it's a silent film. But you know, I've seen the silent film Long Cheney Phantom of the Opera, okay, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's very dialogue heavy. Yes. Um, again, for a silent film. Yeah. But for this one, it's it's not. But I also know it's because a lot of the dialogue cards were gone. Yeah, and they'll be like a good five minute scene of both people talking right and you get no you just have to read body language right body language and sort of the the context of the scene and Mm -hmm. where they're at and what's going on um yeah i agree and i i appreciate that with this film because it really relies heavily on visuals not on dialogue right which this film has in spades is imagery and you know (laughs) this gigantic film this movie is gigantic yeah in scale right even the miniatures are humongous and I I did um, a little research and with with the wide shots of the city where we can see the cars going Mm -hmm. it took eight oh I wrote it down (laughs) I wrote it down because I wanted to get it right Um, because it was just so much eight days of work for ten seconds are you serious because they did it in stop motion Really? Yeah. And so, okay. I know. And so, when we get those shots and it is longer than 10 seconds, that took more than eight days to accomplish, right? Wow. That, I know. That, I mean, like, you would assume since they use miniatures, they would just let them go. Nope. That's crazy. Nope, they did stop motion. I mean, and you can't tell. No, and that's one of, when I, when I heard it was stop motion, I go, no way. And I watched it again, I go, how did they do that? You know, because it's seamless. I mean, well, I mean, even just like a regular stop motion film, like you can't really tell. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like, especially like one of my favorite films, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, like especially when like Jack seamlessly stretches his mouth. Yeah. Like. I think, you know, um, because we know it's stop motion. I think is why I'm, I'm like, you know, it, it's stop motion, right? But right. that I didn't know. Yeah. And so to me, it was like, how did they do that? Yeah. You know? Yeah, um, especially, yeah, especially in 27 when really the technology of stop motion hadn't really hit the main. It's crank, move it, crank, move it, crank, move it. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Right? As we're now, it's... I know in the 90s when they did Nightmare, uh, it was a button. Yeah. And then now I think now they kind of do the same thing with the camera, but without a button. Mm-hmm. Now they can just do it directly from the camera. That way they can keep. Right. Anyway, we're not talking about stop motion. No, but stop motion has something to do with yeah. metropolis, right? And so, um, like we said, this movie took a year and a half yeah. to shoot. To shoot, it took a year and a half, mm-hmm. and and so because Fritz Lang wants the perfect shot, right? So and he wants the perfect image. He wants the perfect framing. He wants the perfect set design, right? And, and I'm assuming. So, so what you're saying is that he's he's Stanley Kubrick before Stanley yes, Kubrick. Yes. Um, a great little piece of trivia is poor poor was named Greta, um, who played uh, Maria, 
Uh-huh. Uh, she passed out in the metal suit because, number one, he insisted she wear it. Really? Because she's the actress, not a stunt double. Um, and it was so hard to breathe in there that she passed out. Well, there's yeah, there's no mouth slit. No. <laughs> no, you can't breathe in that thing. And so since the shots were so long, she went a while without breathing. Holy shit. I know. And there's a great uh, behind-the-scenes photo uh, of her being um, hoisted uh, a, a glass of water with a straw, right? And someone with a hair dryer um, with her with the headpiece off, you know, giving her air in the in the suit. Yeah. Wow. I know. Well, see, I was going to ask you, like, who did they have in the suit? Her. Wow. It's yeah. so crazy. Mm-hmm. He insisted. <laughs> And she got cuts and bruises from that thing because it's metal. Yeah, and, and Anthony Daniels can tell you, a C-3PO, those suits are not perfect. No, and it's it's cool that you brought up Star Wars because obviously that is the model for C-3PO, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And Metropolis is Blade Runner. It's, no, not, oh, it's oh, yeah. 2019 Los Angeles and Blade Runner, right? Uh, especially the police station. The police station is made to look like the main building that Joe works in. Oh, the the new Babel Tower? Yes, the new Babel Tower, right? Um, and so the police station in Blade Runner is made to look like that, right? See, now you've said that, I, I can see that, like, I can see the tower in Metropolis and I can see the police station. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks is just the like most it. visually spectacular film I've ever seen. Hands down. And I think it's because it's all practical, right? Yeah. Uh, besides matte paintings, you know, those are sets. People had to build that. And that's why it took so long. Yeah. And, you know, and of course, you know, this is, as we, thank God, discussed off mic, I I was really worried I would sound like an idiot. This is 12 years before World War II. (laughs) Uh So so Germany is still, you know, I think they've already recovered from World War I. Yeah. And And Nazis existed at this time. Um, But they didn't have... The power. No. So they they were just a political party, just like any other, right? No. And so um, in, this was like 32, 1932, 33, somewhere around there, uh, Joseph Garibald ran into Fritz Lang at at an event Mm -hmm. and just gushed, said, we at the Nazi party love your work. Uh, Adolf loves your work. I love your work. He especially loves M. And we love Metropolis. And um, and he's like, oh, okay, great. He hated the Nazis, by the way, uh, Fritz Lang. Yeah. Before it was cool. Um, <laughs> before, before it went too mainstream? He, he just hated the Nazis. Um, and specifically because on his father's side, he is Jewish, right? Yeah. And, um, and we should mention, if no one knows your history, Joseph Goebbels uh, was the... Uh, propaganda filmmaker for the Nazis. Yeah. And so he had said that, you know, we are prepared to make you an honorary Aryan um, oh, and, and to promote you in the German film industry, uh, give you a really high paying and um, prestigious title and things like that. And he goes, no, man, I'm Jewish. And oh. Joseph said, sir, we decide who's Jewish and who's oh, not. Oh, my God. The very next day, um, Fritz Lang went to Paris and eventually he went to America left his wife in Germany who later became a writer director for the Nazi party and no made shit. propaganda films that is correct yeah so alright um, this is a good way for me to 
talk about that brief little oh. bit of trivia I want to tell you. Because sure. I wanted to talk about this, and this would help me uh, shoehorn this in. So first off, the bit of trivia. Um, did you know there is a manga, anime comic book, mm-hmm. and an actual anime film called Metropolis? Um, did I know that? Um, I might have been aware of the, the anime film. The style looks exactly like the film. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I found out that the creator of the manga and the movie um, got the idea from seeing a poster of Metropolis, mm-hmm. but never saw the movie. Really? Yeah. That's really interesting. Which is crazy, because I watched the anime trailer last night, because mm-hmm. I thought it was an, based exactly. on, on Metropolis. Um, and I was like, wow, it looks so much like... Fritz Lang's movie but the characters were all different the story was different Mm -hmm. and I'm like what the hell is this I looked it up and yeah, it had it has nothing to do with. That's really interesting. That's Fritz cool. Lang's I think it movie, to look like that. But it has the name and the look, which was is really crazy. I mean, but that's you know that's more impressive that they got the look just from the poster, right? Because the look is so important. Yeah, it's so vital to the story. So then, this is the other thing I wanted to shoehorn in. <laughs> so as I mentioned to you two three weeks ago, um, one. Of, what a, an anime I really like is called Full Metal Alchemist, mm-hmm. and they did a movie called The Conqueror of Shambhala mm-hmm. because one of the characters gets stuck on the other side of a portal, which is our reality. Because mm-hmm. the main reality the show takes place in, alchemy actually overtook chemistry, uh, but he gets stuck on our side where alchemy never went past actual history. Well, in the movie, he meets Fritz Lang. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he eventually learns that um, he is a filmmaker because he, Fritz Lang gives him a, a uh, alias. He calls himself uh, Dr. Mustafa. Very cool. Very close to Dr. Mabuse, which is... Uh, or no, Mabusa. Yeah, that's yeah, what he calls Dr. Him. Mabuse, uh, which is a film of his. Um, and then Edward figures out that he's Fritz Lang. And there's one part where they're kind of really bonding and kind of getting to know each other and Fritz starts telling him about the Nazi party um, and how they wanted him to be a director which is all true Um, and he was like I said no because I'm Jewish Um, and then he mentions later on but my wife is an active supporter which is also true Um, like I said I think he would like that half of the movie I think I'd like that 15 minutes of the movie yeah for sure (laughs) Um, as, as listeners know, I'm not a big fan of Japanese animation, although I am a fan of Japanese filmmaking in terms of, you know, like the Akira Kurosawa stuff, which we were coincidentally talking about yeah. before we started. Um, but yeah, no, I, it was just so funny that, you know, we're talking about history and then this anime movie that I've seen countless times mm-hmm. pretty much got it all right. Got it all right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, so um, um I'm assuming uh, there was no bad blood that he left his wife. No. <laughs> I don't think either of them care. Which is really interesting because she wrote the novel and wrote the screenplay for this movie. Um, no shit. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. Uh, so if you want to 
you know, give praise to the writing of this film, you're technically giving praise to a Nazi, uh, which is fine. Um, because it is a great movie. And yeah, it, it, yeah. You know, it's kind of like when you watch Triumph of the Will and you're like, that's shot so beautifully and so well, Lenny Riefenstahl, you know? It's like, you know, she was a Nazi, you know? And it's about <laughs> Nazis, you know? Um, but you can still be like, but it looks good. Uh, anyway. So... Anyway, Metropolis. I want to talk briefly about the uh, German expressionistic style of yes. the film. A lot if, of it is with the matte paintings and with the lighting and with the very strange M.C. Hescher way they they represent the city. So yeah, uh, yeah. So if anyone remembers from our noir episode, Jeremy did get to touch on German expressionism, which I love. I think this will be the more in depth, yeah, kind of explanation. Because get, yeah, because we get to really dive into the sort of German expressionistic style mm-hmm. because we we get an actual example this time, which is Metropolis, and um, really distinct examples would be like the very brief shot of the newspaper mill. Yeah, that thing's going in all different directions, and it's not something you would find in reality really right it's this sort of weird shape and it's you know like i said it's sort of branching out Mm -hmm. into all different directions and it looks really weird that's german expressionism right and um the way the inventor carries himself and the way he reveals his hand and that's all german expressionistic as well Mm -hmm. um when fred is looking out at the city with his father and we get those matte paintings of the city, right? Yeah. German Expressionism, because it looks so weird, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. sharp corners and things aren't really where they're supposed to be. And It's so, almost like the, uh, like, Inception, things are, like, yes. folding in on themselves. And that's what it looked like, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Inception. Christopher Nolan has seen this movie before. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can tell. Yeah. Um... But anyway, so the German Expressionistic style is heavy in this movie, right? Right. But really funny is so is religious imagery. Yeah. Religious imagery is big in this movie, which is why when we were discussing the the edit of the film, they're taking it out. You're taking out half the movie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think it all... I mean, one of the big ones is, of course, we mentioned it off mic, but... Is this sequence when Fred first goes down and he sees the workers get hurt? Yes. And starts hallucinating a shrine of Moloch. Probably one of the most impressive. Dissolves? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because even, I don't know, I did that. Yeah. Um, and I had to look that up who Moloch was. And yeah, he, it's a biblical deity, uh, which to use, uh, you, you sacrifice children to. Ah, nice. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the machine itself already looks like an Aztec temple, mm-hmm. right? Um, and just the way they got... And, of course, those men were actually on it. It's not like it was a miniature or it obviously it's impossible to be CGI. Yeah. That thing is real and it's gigantic, mm-hmm. right? And the fact that he was able to meld it and dissolve into that demolic structure... And then go back. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's yeah. one of the most impressive shots or sequences in the movie. Yeah. Which is saying something because it's full of those. Oh, yeah. You know, then we have the 
you know, the inventor's lab when we meet the metal man for the first time. We get a pentagram. We get an upside-down five-point star mm-hmm. behind the metal man, which is insane, right? Yeah. Um, really kind of, it's jarring to look at because it is the exact opposite of Maria's uh, where there are crosses behind her, right? It's very, it's very bright and it's white, and you know. But when we get to the metal man, it's dark and it's sinister, and you know, it's yeah, it's Christian imagery and demonic imagery, right? Mm-hmm. Which is how we get that sort of oh, that's a bad guy, <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, if we didn't already guess, yeah. Um, and then you know, one of the sequences that I found that are really surreal was when. Fred is waiting in the th- cathedral for Maria, mm-hmm. and he comes across the statues of the seven deadly sins. Yeah, um, that actress is actually um, the one who plays Maria. Uh, she in the credits is credited as the seven Death deadly sins and all the seven deadly yeah. sins. Yeah, which is interesting because I don't think that's accurate, but it's accurate in that she represents all seven deadly sins, right? Especially as evil Maria. Yes. Right? Um, now, I have no problem with her playing Death because she was never in the same room as Death, right? Mm-hmm. But she was as the Seven Deadly Sins, and you could tell one of them was sort of shaking a bit um, in the cathedral because it's a real person in there, you know? Oh, yeah. Right? So, anyway. You know, and I just want to say really quickly, the Lust statue? Yeah. Good luck. I know. Yeah. And which is really interesting because... Obviously, German censorship codes are different than Americans because um, there is some nudity in the film uh, in the garden. Yeah, oh yeah. I uh, I leaned over to Ashley. I was like, "Hey, you can almost see her boobs." Yeah, and you really got it good because it was just a sheer top on you know whatever. Um, One of the sluts, (laughs) Uh, the aforementioned sluts in the garden, the one who all of them are trying to get Fred. Yeah. Well, yeah, Dad owns the place. Yeah. I mean, he's got money pouring out of his pockets. Pouring out of his pockets. At first, I thought they were just, you know, like the style of pants. It turns out they were bulging because of all the money in them. I know. I, I was like, you know, very 19, you know, 20s pants. Yeah. And then, you know, when Greg's pulling them out, I was like, oh. Because then Fred wears those pants again, and they're closer to his, you know, thighs. Full of money. I know. Full of marks. That's um, crazy. Also, the most expensive movie yeah, I was trying to figure yeah. out how much it actually cost them. Uh, at the time, $5 million, which today is about... For inflation? 200 God damn. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2007 when they when they did the math. Now it's a lot more. Jesus. Yeah. Um, you know, another image I want to talk about, because oh, it really threw me, mm-hmm. was when the inventor and Joe are presenting I wouldn't say presenting but they're you know they're they brought evil Maria to you know the rich people's party mm-hmm. and her case so I think I can describe it yeah it's being held up by uh yes um don't really know what to say well you I mean they're they're African American uh, people well I mean African German I guess um but the imagery is insane, right? I I had to pause and rewind it, and I actually had headphones on. I was like, "You need to watch this." Yeah, and I played it, and she was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, which I, you know, since Fritz Lang obviously uh, 
gave a middle finger to the Nazis. I don't think he's no, it's racist. Not, no, it's not meant to be sort of derogatory, but at the time, I mean, it's just he wanted, like I said, he's a tyrant. He wants what he wants. Mm. So, I mean, for the look of the shot and for what he wanted, for what she was representing, which is the whore of Babylon, by the way, yeah. um, that's what he needed to look like. Yeah. So. But then, of course, you know, she changes them into the... The seven deadly sense. Yeah. Right. Um, so fascinating. And again, religious imagery, again, with the whore of Babylon. Yeah. So maybe you can explain it because I'm going to be honest, I didn't dig that deep into the imagery. Mm-hmm. Why was there so much, you know, biblical imagery? That's a great question. Um, I think just to maybe drive home some of the symbolism and some of mm. the uh, some of the themes that they were going for, right? right? Not only is it a anti-industrialism film, obviously, because <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. they make industrialism seem like the worst thing in the world. Um, and they also make it to where humanity is expendable. Right. Well, all you I, need is someone to pull the cracks. So you don't. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. Right. Well, and I know when I was trying to find a video, which I it's still bothering me because I know I've seen a video where they really like delve into mm. Metropolis. When I was trying to find it last night, I found you know they have a lot of the scenes you know and others other full movies posted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but they had that scene. As the, you know, when when evil Maria is the whore yes. of Babylon, but they refer to it as the fall of humanity in yeah. the in the title. Oh, that makes sense. Because all the rich people are gawking at her and like, right. oh, and do in the eyeballs. So, which I loved because it's again, it's sort of like a kaleidoscope sort of uh, shot, right? Mm-hmm. But they're all eyeballs, Eyes. which yeah. I loved, right? Um, it's a very unique way to show that they're all gawking, right? Yeah. And then all eyes are on her, literally, right? Yeah. Um, which I loved. And he does that several times during the movie, which is really cool. Um, again, Fritz Lang is a genius. Was a genius. Um, R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> Fritz Lang was a genius. And, you know, I, I think no one... I think you could probably compare him to Kubrick. Yeah. But Fritz is better, right? Yeah. You know, Kubrick has a very unique style. I mean, yeah. all directors have a very unique style. They say should. Um, because I think that we have those directors that set the standard, mm-hmm. Fritz Lang being one of them. Definitely one who set the standard. And, you know, you know, because as everyone says, the kindest form of flattery is imitation. Yeah. And, you know, and I know there's directors that have imitated one another. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I've seen more people do it with Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More recently, but you know, Fritz, I think, really set the standard of what you know a set should look like. Because as I was texting you while I was watching it, his attention to detail and everything was—I can't even compare it because no. you know how the set looks. Like even Joe's office yeah. is very. You know, which is kind of funny. I was talking to Ashley the other night about. I don't even know what feng shui means. I know it's supposed to be like the movement. I of, know. I know what it means in theory. I don't know like how it works. No. <laughs> yeah, but you know, but it was very how how he had it set up. Right. You know, with his desk and then the chairs for people to sit in, and then I the, guess the gigantic window. With yeah, the curtain and, and Joseph's corner. 
with the stocks, which I'm assuming those were stocks. Yeah, or some version of that. Yeah, which I thought was kind of funny that Joseph kept trying to... <sighs> yeah, and it's really cool because it's like a ticker, right? Like mm-hmm. you would see like under... You know, like CNN, like at the bottom or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it was a chalkboard, right? And the chalkboard is in pieces and it's moving up and down, right? It's really interesting. Yeah, and Joseph's trying to write down as fast as it's going. Right. Yeah. Which I was like, man, that's his job. Poor guy. Poor guy. Which explains why he didn't know about the explosion or the possible quote-unquote uprising. Right. Like, if you have him just sitting there writing yeah, all of Joe, those. Yeah, Joe. Joseph is... Uh, yeah, he was uh, underutilized for sure. You know, and and I also want to point out, you know, you definitely think that Joe, you definitely feel like he's a bad guy, but then <laughs> as the movie progresses, he's not really a bad guy no, per se. He, you're exactly right because he is sort of treated as a, a potential antagonist, right? And sort of is, mm-hmm. um, but really he's just like it was the best way to do it. I don't know how else to do it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I wanted the city to be the best it could be, and the best it could be was people working on it twenty four seven, all hours of the day. No, yeah. forever. You know? Yeah. You know, and I think something else, and this is kind of like a side note. Uh, from watching uh, Chaplin so many times, um, you know, I thought it was, you know, I, I noticed that the actor who plays Fred mm-hmm. was wearing makeup. Oh, yeah. You know, because they, ha- they have to. Heavy, heavy, yeah. Yeah, and I just thought, you know, I feel like if I <clears throat> didn't know that, I would just be like, this guy over here is wearing makeup. But, you know, I knew it was because the limitations of the time they needed to get the light to bounce off their face yeah right and they needed to be able to see their expressions right yeah which you know brings me to uh as you pointed out when we were making the short eye acting yeah eye acting (laughs) especially the thin man uses it constantly yes so a big misconception about silent films is that they overact that's not true. Uh, what they are is stage actors. And yeah. stage actors play to the back, right? Mm-hmm. So if you play to the back row, you have to get the back row to understand what you're doing, right? Right. And so obviously when when motion picture started, act, motion picture actors didn't exist. But yeah. stage actors did. And mm-hmm. so stage actors were put into these silent films and... That's what you get. You you get stage acting. Yeah, yeah a lot of a lot of eye eye opening and yes, a lot of eye opening, a lot of clutching of your chest and head, and to convey motion emotion without saying it, right? Right. Um, I do want to say that number one, the music is fantastic, right? Oh in this, yeah. In this film, not sure if it's the original. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know. Um, we'll probably never know. Whew. Maybe not. I guess we just have to invent time travel. I do want to say, I do want to say that um, the uh, my other option this week would have been um, the Passion of Joan of Arc, which is a 1928 silent film. Uh, I think it's Italian, eh. or it's French. But here's the cool thing: is it gives you the option to watch it in complete silence, no music, no nothing. Really? Right. And I'll tell you how how much it changes how you view the movie mm-hmm. right the music is so visceral and, and so important in this movie right yeah made to punch home 
emotion emotion and tone and whatever right but without it I mean it's a completely different experience I highly recommend um, just to see what it feels like putting your TV on mute Um, Hmm. because again in uh, for The Passion of Joan of Arc on the Criterion Collection it gives you that option that's you know it kind of that kind of reminds me of uh, No Country for Old Men because there is no score there's not even you know music that the Coen brothers picked Mm -hmm. and um, I didn't realize that till the end of the movie because the whole movie I'd been trying to figure out like there's something missing here because you're on the edge of your seat the whole time oh yeah but the whole time I was like there's something what am I missing here and then it was at the very end I was like there's no music there's no music but uh, that would be interesting. I I wonder how much, you know, how, how the powerful imagery of Metropolis would change right. if there was no sound. Yeah. You know. It's really interesting. And I also recommend also watching The Passion of John Mark. Uh, it, is, <laughs> it is said to be, and I agree with this, the, the most well-acted film. Really? Uh, because it is shot almost entirely in close-up. And so, mm. uh, yeah. Well, yeah, then you have no choice but to see these actors really using... And it's subtle, too, because they don't have to act to the back, right? Yeah. Um, because so, everyone's going to see their face. Yeah, and it's actually my my phone case at the moment. Is the yeah, I was going to ask you about Jennifer. that when we were hanging out with Alex and Emily. Because mm. I thought it was Charlie Chaplin. Uh, and my, the one before it was um, Buster Keaton. Yeah. That's right. Um, so... There's something I was going to ask you. Okay. But now I forget. Oh, okay. I, I, I love the movie, by the way. Oh, good. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned that yet. Because, you know, so like I mentioned last week, I had a, a professor, uh, composition rhetoric, who played us the clip when Fred is hallucinating Moloch. Mm-hmm. And that always stuck with me. And I was like, I need to see this movie. But I never knew where to find it. Um... And uh, I'm glad I've now finally experienced it. Um, but I was really hoping Ashley would watch it with me. Yeah, I was going to ask if she did or not. She was half paying attention. Ooh, which you can't do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not with this one. And when it was over, she goes, is it over now? And I'm like, yeah, it's over. And she's like, all right, good. So I'm like, what does that mean? She's mean? like, nothing, just good. I'm like, So it tells me she kept coming in at different times. Yeah. And... Tonally, it was changing. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, it is told in three parts, right? Which doesn't feel like it, except for <laughs> I, I remember like I like waved her down when it said like uh, end of interlude. I was like, we're an hour and thirty minutes in this, and this is the interlude. Yeah. Uh, and she was like, well, man, maybe they just want to build up suspension. I'm like, I guess. Yeah, it is. And of course, I don't. I can't read German, but. Um, it is the only one that really has a subtitle is the first one, right? And it is the the mediator to the hand and the whatever. Yeah. Uh, that line. Uh, and then there's the inter... Blah, 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 and then there's the epilogue. Uh, yeah. Again, it's like intermission and epilogue. Um, yeah, the, yeah, the only time it didn't translate for me, like the, the subtitles to automatically translate, were when it didn't need it. Like, oh, yeah, when, yeah. The, when, when, the, when the title cards were just like, Maria, it yeah. didn't do that. Um, or the Moloch, mm-hmm. which I'm so disappointed in myself that it took me that long to figure out it was Moloch because mm-hmm. I paused it and was like, M O. And so, like, I was like, babe, what's M O L O C H? Moloch? 
mulch. And she's like, yeah, I think that's what it is. And I was like, huh. And I, so I kept it paused, and I was doing digging. I was like, oh, it's Moloch. With a, with a hard cuff. You know, yeah. The hard seat. And the only reason why I know that is because of Watchmen. Oh. <laughs> because of the villain Moloch. I am a gigantic fan of Watchmen. That, so, uh, that Rorschach fucking terrorizes the entire movie. Yeah. And then gets framed for his murder. Oh, no. Spoilers for Watchmen, guys. Mm. Um, I do want to talk briefly about a... It sort of connects to a film we have done before on this podcast. And is that um, water flows down. So the flooding of of the worker city is much like Parasite when oh. uh, the affluent don't get the brunt of uh, things like that. I don't of, know. Uh, yeah, say, of, like the, of the rain and the flood. Right. Yeah. So in Parasite, of course, they're enjoying the rain, and then uh, the affluent enjoy the rain, and the poor are devastated by it. Right. Mm-hmm. This is very similar in this film. Where the workers' city gets absolutely destroyed and flooded and, you know, crumbles. Yeah. And where the affluent, there's no water up there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they don't, they flows, don't even know what's happening. Water flows down, right? Yeah. Uh, quite literally, in this case. Yeah. That that was also a really, really cool sequence I like. But it's amazing. Again, um, I don't know how they did it. The only, I wouldn't really say qualm. It's just, you know... I don't understand how I enjoy movies because I love poking holes mm-hmm. in movies. It's just a fun just to sit there and be like, that wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And so it's you know a very time crunch, time sensitive scene. Yeah. You know, uh, Fred and Joseph are trying to find Maria and all the kids. Yeah. They find them all. You know, the city's already beginning to flood. And we keep getting cuts back to how it's actually looking down. And then when they're trying to get everyone up the uh, the stairs, it's the same shot. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm like, but it doesn't seem that time sensitive then if it's barely coming down. Yeah. And it's it's not till Fred goes back down the stairs to get Maria's when it starts crashing mm-hmm. down and destroying buildings. I'm like, okay, see, that's what it. Sh- I think it's just you know building tension. Yeah, I, what it is. I know. It's just me being. A dick. A dick, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Um, <laughs> I do... Um, so, just like Parasite, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, all right. So, we can talk about, you know, the the amount of extras used, which is 37,000. I know, so many people. It was a lot of people, right? And so, I, I wonder think, why their budget was so big. I think the only reason... Or the only way you can compare it is if you look at Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind is also very massive in scale and also used a ton of extras. There's a great scene after one of the battles in this war, obviously. Um, <laughs> the, the camera pulls back and we get an aerial shot of the, the town. Uh-huh. And there are all these bodies laying on the ground. Those are real people, right? Yeah. And so that would be the only way I could tell you how many people are in this movie is if you look at that. If you look at that, you can kind of get a sense of how many people are in this movie, but no, 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 there's still like uh, 30,000 more people in this movie. So, uh, sidebar, I have never seen Gone with the Wind. Okay. That's fine. I've only seen it once and it was in the eighth grade. So. Um, wasn't it the first film in color? Yeah. No? No. What it was, was, it was, was filmed um, what back was to back f- because it was... Um, Sorry, 
really sorry, Zach. Uh, Zach, I know you're listening. Sorry, but so Victor Fleming uh, was the final director hired on to Wizard of Oz, and he finished Wizard of Oz, and then he went and filmed Gone with the Wind. Ah, oh. and they were filmed sort of back to back. But no, it is not the first film. I could have sworn it. Technically, film has always been in color because even George Malier's A Trip to the Moon was hand painted. So. Yeah. Film is always been a gun. I don't know what you mean. And no, it's not. I could have sworn Gone with the Wind had a first of something. Maybe. I don't know. I'm fucking know. Um, but yeah, dude, so many people, especially in the mob scene when, when the worker mob and the rich mob meet. Yes. So many people. Not hard to find people. So in this time, there was an economic crisis going on mm-hmm. uh, in this time in Germany. And so to find malnourished children was not difficult. Uh, they they said that it was easy to find 500 of them. Yeah. You know? And it was easy to hire people because no one was working. And so, hence, you get 37,000 people. Yeah. Uh, it makes me, it kind of makes me think of uh, Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> oh, let's find out how. <laughs> Just like, you know, they needed... You know, campers. Yeah. For the for the film, and so they put out an ad in the local paper where they filmed, and uh, pretty much just said like, you know, we need extras for this film about camp. You know, we need kids ages yada yada yada. Yeah. You know, whatever. That's and that's how they got the kids. Not hard right? for, for the movie. And in this case, equally as easy because he just had to go. You want to get paid a couple of marks? To you, do this, and they're like, well, okay, want to get some food, yeah. Um, but I'm sure, unlike What Hot American Summer, you know, people weren't uh, confused about what they were in. Yeah, yeah, no, they <laughs> they knew what they were in because um, number one, you can't hide those sets, right? Because yeah. again, they're they're real and they're massive, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I thought that was so funny when the owners of the camp found out when they saw the finished product, they were like, "Take our names off this," because <laughs> they well they. To the owner's credit, they did lie to them. They're like, yeah, it's a family-friendly movie about camping. <laughs> Have you seen What Americans Ever Time? Oh, God. Anyway. Um, but no, yeah, yeah. It just... <sighs> to be honest, um, I think that's the one thing about silent films that actually not necessarily bother me. It activates anxieties I've never known I've had. Because mm-hmm. there's just so many people in that one Especially the kids when they're reaching for Maria. Yeah. And that's all you see is just these kids reaching out at the camera. I'm like, uh. Yeah, it's very claustrophobic. Yeah. And, you know, um, films that I love, I guess now we can transition to what this film has inspired. Right. right? So we've talked about C-3PO. We've talked about Blade Runner. Um, I would argue that the the aesthetic of Dark City is sort of the, the worker city, right? Because uh-huh. there's a ceiling on it, right? They don't get to go outside. Yeah. They're inside. And so it's very it's it feels like a you know a Tim Burton Batman right it's like there's a ceiling we've talked about this before because yeah, we talked the about on the crow right yeah. the crow is also uh, said to have taken Metropolis as a influence, uh, influence in the in the church uh, final battle scene right no oh yeah 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 for sure right and of course the ceiling on the you know yeah because it feels like you're inside oh we didn't. I just realized we kind of skipped over that, uh, the final, you know, with with going with the biblical imagery that the final confrontation with the inventor is on the roof of the church. Yes, on the cathedral, yeah. And he ends up falling off, you know, the roof. 
almost as like a symbol of like that you know science won't win. Oh, I don't know. Science, science over religion. Religion wins. Uh, but it's possible. No. Again, it's 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 an. I don't know if it's a um, anti-science film. It's definitely an anti. Uh, industrial right yeah. industrialism film because the the fear of industrialism is real right because you know people being slaves of these machines right yeah. uh, we can also see a little bit of this uh, it's more of a spoof on industrialism but in modern times uh, the oh, Charlie yeah. Chaplin film from 1936 um, also silent um, sort of I mean there's some talking in it but not really but not but Chaplin doesn't talk no no um, no. um, let's see. Okay, so influences. Yeah. So obviously the biggest one is Blade Runner. I think just in aesthetics, you take out the biplanes and the cars on the road, and you replace them with, you know, hover cop cars and yeah, a, a rainy. Yeah, because definitely the metal man could be could be used for the inspiration for replicants. Yeah. You know, these robots with human features and human skin. Right. Um, Indistinguishable for you and I. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, even the inventor says that the metal man is, you know, eventually you won't be able to tell Give man and machine hours. apart. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, if definitely Blade Runner did. Yeah. The only way anyone knew was because of the the Blade Runners themselves, they knew right. what, I guess, who to look for. Exactly. And so, uh, definitely Blade Runner. Um, I would say definitely... Um, oh, man, I just had it in my head, and it went away. That sucks. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's okay. I do want to say that also, um, and this is a fun little aside, H.G. Wells hated the movie. Really? Very much. He said, I just saw the silliest movie. <laughs> Really, and it's Metropolis, and he wrote a book um, to combat it, saying this is how you do it. And I forgot the name of the book. I'm so sorry, people, that I brought it up, and I don't remember the the name of the book. But uh, I bet I can find it. Yeah, Lorraine's gonna look it up because I have a little story while he's doing that. So uh, very similar to that um, in art, influencing art out of spite, which is very interesting. A uh, similar thing happened with High Noon. High Noon is, of course, the um, not Gregory Peck, Jeremy, Gary Cooper. The Gary Cooper film about a man saving a city from these horrible cowboys. So when John Wayne saw the movie, he thought it was very pro-communist and un-American. And so he <laughs> made Rio Bravo um, as the anti-high noon, right? Okay. And so this is this is, of course an earlier example of that uh, but H.G. Wells hated uh, Metropolis so much that he wrote a book um, to say it's the anti-Metropolis <laughs> okay I think my book The Way the World is Going may be very well concerned itself with this film right is that it I don't know that doesn't sound familiar I think it was Hang the on. C of something C sounds right S-E-A that kind of C Mm. Anyway, um, but anyway, it's it's just so interesting that even even out of spite, you you can still argue that it it influenced that book, right? Even yeah. though H.G. Wells hated the movie, which is so interesting. So wait, Hannah, what what did you say the book started with? I don't know. It, it C was in there somewhere. C, not the letter of the word. Okay, let's see here. 
At least I thought. I don't know. I could be wrong. Uh, I just read it today and I completely The shape forgot. things come? That sounds right. Maybe it's the shape of things to come. There we go. That's it. Um, he wrote that because he hated Metropolis. Yeah, I'm trying to see... Which is so interesting that he would hate Metropolis, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, of course, H.G. Wells wrote War of the Worlds and Time Machine and... Yeah, a long economic slump causes a major war that leaves Europe devastated and threatened by plague. The nations with the strongest air forces set up a benevolent dictatorship that paves the way for world peace by abolishing national divisions, enforcing the English language, promoting scientific learning, and outlawing religion. Mm. The enlightened world citizens are able to dispose of dictators peacefully and go on to breed a new race of super talents able to maintain a permanent utopia. Interesting. And you, you can see why... You can see the influence in Metropolis because of what he's leaving out, right? Right. Uh, anti-religion, um, utopia, things like that. Yeah. Uh, futuristic backdrop. So, there you go. H.G. Uh, Wells wrote it's, a book because he hated Metropolis. I know. It's so interesting. Especially, you know, like you said, he gave us, you know, the time machine, mm-hmm. you know, which... Is which is a very industrial looking machine in mm-hmm. its, you know, in, I mean, in its various different um, iterations, right? It yeah. it still looks like you know it has pulleys and cranks and you know wheels. Yeah the the fifth the fifties one is like a elongated one, and then the Guy Pierce one is more of like a an orb. Circle. Yeah, an orb. Yeah. Anyway, so. Um, H.G. Wells. Uh, <laughs> in the movie. And this film was also, uh, as I showed you when I got yes. here, has influenced music. Um, yes. I have in front of me, or on the side of me, um, uh, Bebop Deluxe live uh, in the Arc Age, in the R Air Age, sorry. Um, and on the cover is the Metal Man with yes. the five pointed star. And on the back is a couple of stills from the film. And uh, it is an album, is a live album. I was uh, just about to ask, is it a live album? It or? is. It is a live album uh, that is influenced by Metropolis. And it's sort of like a British rock, I would say early punk, maybe. Yeah. Because uh, it's 77. So, yeah. Yeah, so, punk. Uh, and I dig it. Um, well, a little music history for you. I mean, punk in the UK is, I think, started in the 70s. Oh, okay, cool. So maybe it's... Not punk. probably. Well, it's probably you're right because it's Sex Pistols, and uh, you're right. Yeah, it's probably very. What became mainstream punk? In yeah, because it's not as hard. It's not. It's definitely not. You know, in your face punk like the Sex Pistols are. Which Sex Pistols are so dope. I love them so much. Yeah, of course. You know, and, and it's not like the Clash, right? Which is also very in your face. Um, no. A little bit more contemporary, I think. But in this one, would be sort of you know. Um, very relaxed and very. I think I might have to look into them because, um, in you know, in comparison, but I dig the sound. I I got it. Um, my buddy Keith, uh, who owned Vintage Deluxe in Odessa, which is a record shop, was telling me about it because he had a copy, and I didn't buy it at the time. Uh, but he was like, "Dude, it's super dope. It's you know a white and a black two LP set, and um, the white one is the live album, and the black one is the EP." And it's super dope. And I was like, all right, cool. Maybe I'll check it out. Didn't. A year later, I found it in Lubbock in Josie's Books. Shout out to Josie's Books. 
Um, and I was like, okay, I have to have it because it was cheap there and it's in great shape and whatever. But well, I think I'll definitely have to check out the band because not to shoehorn in anime again, oh but one of my favorite, another one of my favorite animes is Cowboy Bebop. Yes. So, I actually I thought about that when I when I uh, took it out of my collection to bring up here. No. Those who don't know, I'm a giant fan of yeah vinyl. Uh, I, I collect. I, I used to think that I had a really good collection of vinyl until I saw yours, and I was like, oh, God damn it. I collect two things. I collect movies and I collect vinyls. And so I have... And, and you're beating me in both. Well, I have just a, I have a ton and a lot of free time. So Yeah. Um, well, so do you, do you want to start wrapping up? Sure, we can wrap up, wrap up, wrap up. Um, I, I mean, I just... I Where love, are you? Where's it from? Um, I think I I got it from Thirty Rock. Uh, of course, she was going to uh, she meaning Liz Liz Lemon is going to do a wrap up wrap up wrap up of the year that um, Jack Donaghy's wife missed while being held captive in Korea, and so she was oh, wrap up wrap up wrap up, and then they don't end up. But I I kept that in my vernacular. So anyway. I love this movie. It's amazing. Um, its aesthetics will, I think, always be superior and always look just as amazing as it does now. I mean, yeah. I don't think we will ever see a movie that will look as amazing as this one does. Absolutely. You know, I kept telling Ashley, I was like, it's so hard that this movie was made in 1927. Yeah. Because the only time you can not necessarily tell is, of course, with the acting, you know, what people would call overacting. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, with the visuals and the visual effects and the sets, you couldn't... You, this It looked like the, these sets were made yeah. 30 years later. It's know. unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely... I definitely will, would love to watch it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely want to find a copy of it. Uh, uh, Kino Lober, Kino Classics, has a, a Blu-ray of the complete... Metropolis, which is what I watched. I was just them. about to ask: Was there is there not a Criterion collection yet? No, not of this one. Really, but you get the Kino, so uh, Kino's just as good. Okay, but yeah, definitely have to get it, or at least just probably buy it digitally. Yeah, but uh, highly recommend looking at some of Fritz's other silent films because they're just as good. I definitely want to watch M when we did the oh, noir yeah. when we did the mm-hmm. noir episode. That really interested me. Yes, M is phenomenal. It's his first sound film. Uh, so this one. He did Metropolis, and he did um, Spies, and then Woman in the Moon. And Woman in the Moon is his last silent film, and then he does yeah, M thirty one. And didn't and isn't one of the cup posters for M is a hand with yes. the red M on it? Yes, and that's very important. So, yeah. to the narrative. Yeah. So, uh, would you like to know next week? I would love to know next week. So, guys, I did not tell him beforehand. I did not tell him when he got here. I waited until now to tell him what we're going to be discussing. Um, next week, we'll be discussing the, uh, I think it won Best Picture, mm. the Oscar uh, award-winning film, which confused me when I first heard about it. Mm. I thought it was about a Adult Swim show. I'm going to see if maybe you're going to figure it out by the hints. Yeah. Um, turns out it wasn't. <laughs> next week... Will be Alejandro in Inuritu's Birdman. Very, very exciting. Oh man, I do love Alejandro Gonzalez Inuritu, um, <laughs> which is how you're supposed to say it. 
And um, I'm a gigantic fan of Michael Keaton's, and I'm a fan of the style he picked, which is one continuous shot, which mm-hmm. is uh, super difficult to pull off. Yeah, especially in where the majority of the film takes place is in the theater house. And I'm trying to remember the, the guy who did the score. The score is entirely jazz drums. Mm-hmm. And he's in the movie. Yes. And Antonio Garcia, I think. I think. I have the album on vinyl, actually. I was just about to say, I swear to God, you're <laughs> going to say it's yeah, on vinyl. I do. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of this movie. So, awesome. And it did win Best Picture. And I did not think it was going to. Um, I so, so, when I first heard about it, all I saw was the title Birdman. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I immediately thought it was going to be based on Harvey Birdman. Ah. Attorney at Law. Attorney at Law. <laughs> um, which I love. Uh, of course, if anyone didn't has never seen or heard of that show, it's based on a 60s comic book character, Harvey Birdman. Uh, then Adult Swim somehow got rights to that character and revamped him as a attorney at law, mm-hmm. and it's a very meta show and it's so funny. I think one of the I've best. Seen a of I think one of the best episodes is when the Jetsons show up, <laughs> and they actually have to walk, and it takes him like three days to get to his desk, and they like talk to him like he's an idiot because like, do you understand us? And Harvey's like, yes, I. Anyway, um, but then I saw the trailer. I was like, this is not about Harvey Birdman. No, no, not even close. And so I didn't want to see it, period. Didn't want to see it at all. Um, Even though I love Michael Keaton. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get the point. And then um, when he, when, uh, because Michael won for Best Actor that year too, didn't he? I don't remember. He was probably nominated for sure. Uh, I know Alejandro definitely won for Best Director. Yes. And the film won Best Picture. Yes. Well, even if Michael didn't get Best Actor, he still got an Oscar. Yes. Um, but when me and Ashley saw that, we were like, okay, what is this movie? And of course, um, as you know, Regal does re-releases of movies that win Oscars. Mm-hmm. I sure did. And so we were like, you know, let's go see Birdman. Let's, what yeah. is this movie about? And we left the theater very puzzled. It's, it's a rad movie, man. And the reason why I for sure wanted to see it was I love technical achievements in movies, and this yeah. is one of those, right? Um, it's not the first time I'd seen that done. The first time I'd ever seen it done uh, was um, Silent House with uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Oh, okay. Uh, that movie is done entirely in one take. Of course, not really, right? It would take me years of film study and things like that to find out that you can actually find movies that are true oneers. Uh, one being Russian Ark, the other being Victoria. Um, Isn't one of those the ones you said they said action and they did the whole movie in yes, one take? Yes, you do the whole thing in one take. And if you mess up, you got to do it tomorrow. Because uh, especially in Victoria, time of day matters. And uh, so uh, we start in the middle of the night and we end in the morning. Oh, okay. Right? And so if you, if you mess up, which she did... Uh, in the in the film, uh, she's driving, and we are almost done, right? Uh-huh. And she took a wrong turn in the car, and the guys are screaming at her in German. Um, the movie's relatively in English, uh, but she's in Germany, and they're screaming at her in German because they're like, I swear to fucking God, if we have to do this one more fucking time. <laughs> and she, she made up for it. She went a little faster, and she made up for it, made the time up, and yeah. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, so we saw the movie left the theater very confused but the movie stuck with me mm-hmm. I was like like I because I knew I didn't get it I knew that I wasn't understanding it and so 
uh, when it came out on Blu-ray, because I mean, I still loved the the visuals, yeah. the comedy, especially because I do consider it a comedy. Mm-hmm. I know it is a comedy drama, yeah, but I do consider it a a comedy. Um, and so I was like, I still want to own this movie, and so I bought it and I rewatched it, and then that's when I got it. Yeah, I was like. That, that's the point. There is no such thing as a bad Alejandro in your region. Oh, movie. no, no. Um, I remember being in Australia, you know, not to, not to plug, being in Australia. Oh, boy, here we go. Uh, but in Australia, one of the hotels we were staying at, I caught Babel. Yeah, Babel's a great one. And, of course, I came in... I'd already been playing. I came in right in the middle. Oh, so I'm like trying to figure lost. out. Yeah, I'm like, what is happening? Okay, I was like, okay, there's Brad Pitt. Uh, there's Kate Blanchett. Yeah. Uh, wait, um, why okay. are we in Japan now? Okay. Oh, no, now. Like, wait, now we're in Mexico? Uh, like, why are we in Mexico? So then, yeah. I think like a couple days later, I happened to catch the beginning and watched it from start to finish. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Yeah, and um, that is actually, uh, in my opinion, the the weakest of the three he's done like that. I still need to see Revenant. Um, okay. Yeah, it's great. Uh, that one's fantastic. I think the reason why it stops me is just because I think as I think I mentioned it on mic before. Um, I don't watch things that are too overhyped. So, it was, I mean, but you know, I caught it when it came out before it. Well, I mean, before it was well, overhyped, and, uh, you know, and I was part of the hype because I I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Well, and like I uh, I haven't seen Gravity. And we'll never see Gravity because yeah. of how overhyped it was. Yeah, that one's okay. Especially when it raked in all the Oscars that year. I was like, mm, yeah, I'm not going to say only, it now. The only saving grace, I think, for Gravity, it's Alfonso Cuaron, right? Which who he also did Birdman, right? No, that's no? Alejandro Iñárritu. So Alfonso Cuaron... No, no, I mean, as the cinematographer. No. No? No. Just, oh. Sorry about that, but no. Um, I do want to say that if you love Babel... You're going to love Amores Perros. Uh, it's in Spanish. And 21 Grams, which is not. That one's in English. I forgot that he's done. He and it's the, that is the same narrative style as Babel. So it's the interconnecting yeah. uh, storylines. But next week we're doing Birdman. Birdman. Or exactly. the Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Because I forgot. Um, which I love that that... I, I love it, and we'll talk about it when we actually do the episode. But I love when a movie has that you know, title or or yeah yeah because it's almost like saying like you can call it either or oh which Doctor we'll Strange Love or How I Love Stop Worrying and, War- and Love the Bomb has a Metropolis thing is uh, Doctor Strange Love's hand oh uh, that's is, is like the, the inventor yes God damn it and it, and it won't stop Hitler saluting. <laughs> Well, isn't that like, a comedy too? It, oh yeah, it's hilarious. I love that movie very, very much. And Stanley Kubrick, right? Mm-hmm. It's it is Kubrick. One of his earlier ones. Yes, that one's an early one. It's not obviously. It's is not it the earliest? I'm one. assuming it's after the killing. Uh yeah, it's after the killing. Anyway, uh, next week Birdman. Birdman. Uh, we hope y'all enjoyed Metropolis. Yes. Uh, and we will see you next week.